This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, the most popular term we've heard over the past few years has been that of me too. Um, and that's been a movement that all of us have actually um, been a part of. But there's something called kids too that I think we do well to understand and learn about. So we have several very special guests joining us today to inform us about this. First of all, the founder of the Kids 2 movement and co-founder of Parents Against Child Sexual Abuse, Dr. Tanya Haig is here with us. We also have with us a survivor and advocate of educator abuse, Ashley Nation. And we also have with us a licensed psychologist who has been featured in the Hulu docuseries, Keep This Between Us. We'll learn about that too. Dr. Holly Schilling joins us. Welcome all of you. Thank you for joining Make It Plain. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, uh, I'm giving you a, the title of doctor. Look at that. Uh, okay. But I, I do that. Ministers, do that. we call everybody a doctor. Uh, uh, Tanya, explain to the audience when we say kids too, what do, what do we mean by that? Great. So, yes, um, you know, we, like you at your setup, you mentioned the Me Too movement. We thought that that did a really great job in shifting the culture in terms of understanding sexual assault. Um, we know that Me Too is used for both, you know, men and women, but let's just say women were central to that narrative. Um, women telling their adult stories of sexual assault, but then really trickling down to experiences that they had as children as well. And we really believed and continue to believe that women and the Me Too movement needed to happen as a precursor to the Kids Too movement. So if you think about the leap that women have had to take to just be believed when they say that something caused them harm, um, which in the past has had so much stigma or no one wanted to believe that that could happen or was the blame of the woman or the person. Um, now we're trying to translate that to children. And the cultural shift that we want to achieve is that we want children to believe, be believed when they're children, when they're, they have an outcry, when they're expressing harm. Um, so that connection um, is so beautiful for us and the work that we've been doing for the last five years, uh, which is why we're really coming out in this really bold way to say that kids need to be believed and kids matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, one of the questions for you right now, though, Tanya, how widespread is this? Oh, my goodness. Ed educator so, sexual abuse. Okay, so I know we're going to laser focus on the, on the educator abuse component. Um, so, you know, there are 73 million children in our country um, you know, about a quarter of those kids uh, will experience some kind of um, um, sexual abuse. And the stat that we use, the data point is one in 10 kids will be sexually abused by an educator or someone at the school, like a staff member, for example. And the reason that we're bringing so much energy behind this topic is because outside of parents, we rely on educators as that next role of a trusted person trusted position. Most of our children spend the majority of their time in a school environment. 
So parents want to think we let our guard down and we send our kids off to an environment where they're surrounded by other adults other than ourselves as parents. We count on educators to serve as that next tier. And believe me, we recognize the good that educators do to help a lot of our children spot things that maybe we don't see as parents or maybe some kids don't have as much rigor in the home of care and teachers serve as that kind of additional layer of support. But unfortunately, the data shows that predators pursue environments where there are children and teachers are so, so revered that almost it's like a protected position that if you go in there with bad intentions, like predators do, that that is just a safety net for them. They know that there's this layer of revered position as a teacher that they can really be in a position to also harm our children. And that's why we're putting so much energy around this topic to educate your audience and beyond. Well, and just to be clear, I asked about educator, but but kids too, not only deals, I presume, with just educator abuse, right? right. Yeah. So I mean kids too was a movement that really launched a year ago when there was so much energy and groundswell coming out of the pandemic. All the data showed how much um there were about twenty um over ninety seven million calls into the cyber tip line. There was just an explosion of online exploitation rooted from the pandemic, kids being at home, not around other children, on the iPad. So the Kids to Movement actually came from a place of online safety to get our conversation. But Parents Against Child Sex Abuse has been around for five years, and educator abuse is one of our hot buttons to put a quash and end this exploitation for our children. It is educator abuse. Or you mentioned what was happening on the pandemic online, but Right. In terms of educator abuse, it, is, is that trending in any direction? Is it increasing or decreasing? Do we know where that is right now? Well, while the data lags, as you can imagine, what we can tell you is that there's no shortage of examples in the press, making news headlines, groundbreaking cases, cases like Ashley's. Some make it to TV. Sometimes some, some do not. Many do not. Most do not. And where our rub is, is that background checks don't catch every teacher. There's so many examples of teachers just being able to call like what we call district hopping, or maybe, you know, they might, you know, get some kind of um, um, allegation towards them, but maybe it fizzles out. There's no criminal record that follows them. So all that, all those situations don't necessarily get captured in the file or when they're applying for becoming a teacher in a different state and you know, following the licensure, licensure process, it doesn't necessarily come up in the application. So there are a lot of gaps in the process. And we really believe that with what's happening right now, and especially building off of the documentary where Dr. Schilling was featured, um, we want to continue to bring energy around this topic because more needs to be done. All right. Um, Ashley Nation is, is here. Um, Ashley, you are a survivor. Tell us, if you would, about your story. Yeah. So, um, like you said, I am a survivor of educator sexual abuse. Um, I was groomed and then sexually abused by my high school theater teacher. I met him in the summer between my junior year and senior year. We did a summer show together, and then I spent the next year of my life um being abused by him. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that I want people to take from my story is that 
it didn't just happen overnight. I didn't meet my theater teacher and then he walked in and everything was sexual. Um, when, when, when predators get in schools and they gain access to children, they groom not just the student, but they groom the entire school as well. So he groomed not only me, but all of the other students around us and all the other teachers and staff as well. Let me ask you this. When, when that was happening to you in, in the moment, how did you deal with it? How did your parents deal with it? Um, what was, what were the things you all were doing to, to push back against it? I didn't come out about my abuser until 10 years later. Okay. When 2020, I finally said it out loud. I mm. found out that my teacher, my teacher was resign, allowed to resign from my high school in 2013. I thought he would not teach again. And then I found out that he was teaching at another school. And I don't know, I just, I got angry for some reason. Everything came flooding back. I called that high school and I told them, I said, you have a predator working in your theater department. And I started a snowball of dozens of other victims. Good, good, good for you. Dr. Schilling, um, as Ashley said, she came out and talked about it sometime later. Is this, and we've seen that even in the Me Too movement. I mean, sometimes victims don't come out right, right away, can't. I mean, th that's part of the trauma. Um, when it comes to educator abuse, um, are we finding that young students and families have a hard time addressing this or talking about it? Or is it becoming more like Me Too? I mean, now I think people, more people have the courage in the Me Too movement, uh, thankfully. And it's, it's a movement um, that people, I guess, now feel because more are coming out, more feel safe and protected in coming out. When it comes to educator abuse, what are things like in that area? Yeah, has been pointed out, I, well, there is some comfort that people are becoming more vocal about these things that are occurring. I think a lot of factors still play into why it is delayed and continues to be delayed. As um, Ashley pointed out, there's a lot of grooming that occurs, which is a lengthy process and particularly more so in adolescent victims where there is this belief that there is an in investment. There is a relationship. This person cares about me. They're not trying to harm me. And so oftentimes the victim isn't really fully aware of the abuse when it's occurring until they've been removed from the situation somehow and understand better that that was actually abusive, that was inappropriate, that should not have happened to them. And that's a lot of times why there is a delay in addition to just being a trauma symptom where there is an avoidance of talking about it and a shame and a guilt that goes with that. A lot of times, especially for more teenage adolescent victims that are fallen prey to these adult predators, they don't really understand that they were victimized until years after they've been removed from it. Ashley, what are, what are the, if any, the long-term effects of your experience? Um, I struggle, I personally, I struggle with trusting people. I struggle with confidence. I have really bad anxiety. Um, 
But I think the biggest is it's the shame. It's the guilt that I am having 10 years after I was abused. I'm having to undo what one single man did to me. And it's it it's a lot to undo. I mean, there was a point in time after I came out where I felt guilty for coming forward against my abuser because he had convinced me that he was the only person in the world that cared for me. And how could I come out against a man who cared for me and expose him like that? So there's a lot, there's a lot to undo. Um, it, Tanya, the, the school systems themselves, I mean, Ashley just talked, she had to one, be the one to blow the whistle on this character. Um, our school systems and school districts, um, more attuned or becoming more attuned to this, more aware is, is the, are they becoming a part of the kids too movement? Um, I believe that schools um, have, are more aware, um, again, not to draw a parallel to the Catholic Church, but there is a parallel to the Catholic Church. So I believe that um, there's more awareness, but the approach on how to solving for this is inconsistent. Um, so we've worked with some other survivor advocates and other organizations um, to draft and pass policy, especially in our state of Illinois, where schools have mandated sexual misconduct policies, um, but it's not consistent around the country. Um, so some school districts have had to move on this a little bit quicker because maybe litigation has driven them to respond. And we really don't want to leave it to litigation, but sometimes that's what gets their attention. Um, we're actually heading down to Miami at the end of the month, um, Reverend Mark, because there's a big case um, that took five years for it to go to trial out of the Miami-Dade County. Um, the young woman, the victim who had the courage, her and along uh, with her parents, um, won a $6 million civil lawsuit in, against this county uh, and the school district. If you can imagine what $6 million impact does to a school district, um, that's just egregious for them to even not having done the right thing um, to put the needs and the well-being of the schools that they oversee and the children within those schools. Uh, so I believe that the stakes are higher and because of victims um, and survivors who have more courage, like Ashley are coming forward because they're angry, more is being done. But there are some policies in place. It's spotty around the country. And we would like for all of districts to have a zero tolerance policy on predators, enough protecting of the adult. The charming teacher, we call it old tapes. The charming predator, old tapes. We know their tactics. We know they need to pull wool over, over our eyes. They groom everybody around them to make sure they have things locked in. They would never, to have this appearance, that they would never be someone to do something like that. So we are just like, as a society, what I'd like for all of us, for parents, for principals, the administration to say, ah, you know, what, what a shame. Here's another one and get them quickly, swiftly out of the system versus default mode of protecting the adult and the predator that's causing. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned a case in Miami and, and that was the, uh, the, the Hulu docuseries, I believe, keep this between us. That's the same case, right? Correct. It was the one featured towards the end, the more, the more current case. Yeah. Right. And, and Dr. Schilling, you're, you're a part of that, of that docuseries. Correct. You were, you were featured in that, right? Yes. Um, 
it, Ashley, you know, I'd ask Ashley about long-term effects. It w- is what she described in her own situation commonplace when it comes to other victims? Anxiety, yeah. inability to trust, all of that? Yes, all of those are very common symptoms. I think a lot of people automatically assume somebody's going to have post-traumatic stress disorder after experiencing abuse, and that's not always true. It can manifest in a lot of different ways, general anxiety, depression, eating disorders, substance abuse-related things, a lot of interpersonal difficulties with the trust issues, and really unhealthy relationship patterns, being more prone to being victimized in adulthood in relationships and those sorts of things. And I don't want to be um, gender discriminatory myself, Dr. Schilling. We're, we're talking about, I presume, um, young women and young men, right? It, it, they're, it, but is it either more common or more targeted than the other? So we know that females do tend to be a little bit more targeted on the school environment. However, that is not to say that young men are also not targeted in school environments or outside of school environments as well. I have certainly worked with a fair number of males who have been sexually abused in childhood by people that should have been protecting them. Um, Tanya, what about this? Um, it is, uh, do we find this, this happening in school districts with certain types of demographics? Does the socioeconomic factors play a role when someone is is going in there as a predator? Um, race, what have you? Does, do, do, uh, do, do any of those things factor in? I would say, generally speaking, when it comes to child sexual abuse, Reverend Mark, um, under the data shows that underserved, you know, children in underserved communities are at higher risk. Um, unfortunately, when it comes to educator abuse data. Um, a lot of data related to sexual abuse. It's, it, we have not found the data that we would like that drills down um, to the ethnic groups, different races. But if you're poor and you're you know, a kid of color, the chances are much higher for them to be victimized multiple times and be you know, at, at, a, at risk of several things and definitely um, child sexual abuse is one that's called within a category of um, the acronym is ACE in an adverse childhood experience. So the data shows that kids in underserved communities have a higher propensity of experience one or two or three within that category. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ashley. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotion promotional offer not available in washington dc spring is that you 
Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. What, if you don't mind me asking, what are, what are you doing? How are you going forward with your life to perhaps find ways to um, heal from your experience? So when I began this journey, I thought getting removing my teacher from his teaching position was step one. It was let's let's face this and let's solve this problem. Um, since then, advocacy work. Um, I have two young girls, so I spend a lot of time educating them. They don't ex- they don't know what happened to me. What I tell them is that mommy's finding bad people, um, but educating them and knowing that I am protecting them makes me, it makes me feel better. Um, but advocacy work, and then I'm currently working with legislators in Indiana on a law that would hopefully criminalize grooming and stop or prevent district hopping. Well, that's, that's, that's good to know. Um, Dr. Schilling, I, I'm no clinician, but as a minister and a civil rights activist, I always say to people when they're dealing with issues of discrimination and oppression, the best therapy is advocacy as, as Ashley is doing, you know, to get in it, get in the fight. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? And what recommendations might you have for parents who are listening as to what they can do if, um, their child, their young person has experienced this, or if they have concerns about their young person experiencing this from a psychological level, what would your recommendations be, doctor? Yeah. So from a psychologist perspective, you know, I always advocate for treatment. Um, if there's concern of just having them speaking to somebody who's a third party, you know, children oftentimes might have concern about their own family. They might not want to share this information with parents. So bringing them to a third party, like a therapist, licensed mental health professional, um, sometimes even more in ministry or, you know, just somebody that they can speak to, to ask, like, these sorts of questions, children oftentimes will open up and that information can be divulged and shared. Of course, if this has happened, um, getting them into treatment to have additional support is going to be very important. Even if the child isn't ready to speak about it yet, just building those relationships and having trust with a person that can work with them through their symptoms and processing what happened to them is going to be very important. Uh, you know, I, 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 obviously it is. Are there any signs, Dr. Schilling, because obviously this is difficult to talk about. And I think the, the statistics show, um, in fact, there was one that Nayada shared with me. I want to, um, I want to, uh, 73% of child victims do not tell anyone about the abuse for at least a year. 45% of victims do not tell anyone for at least five years, some never disclose. 
Um, are there uh, now? If I, you know, uh, 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 I don't have young kids anymore, but if I'm a parent, I'm hearing this. I'm like, wait a minute. How can I discern from my child's behavior or disposition whether or not they're in this kind of danger? Do you have any tips on that, Dr. Schilling? What to look for? So. The biggest things that we look for are significant changes. Ages can be a big difference. So one, you know, and particularly younger kids, um, that a lot of times they might start having a lot of physical complaints. Um, kids will oft oftentimes will make a lot of stomach ache, headaches, I don't feel good sorts of complaints, um, particularly if it's related to going to school. Uh, they don't want to be there. There might be bedwetting that comes back, you know, just these sorts of behaviors that are kind of unexpected in younger kids. In teenagers, you might start just seeing a big shift in their social approaches. Oh, oftentimes in adolescents and teenagers, a part of the grooming effect does actually remove them from their friend groups and isolates them a lot more because that's what the predator needs to do to kind of keep them in their circle is isolate them. So you might, as a parent, see a big shift in just how social your child is going to be. Um, and so again, these are things where you just have to be mindful, right? A lot of predators and groomers, especially teachers, utilize the behavior of good teachers. So they model good teachers, teachers that are have the best intentions. They pick up on those behaviors and learn to model them. And so the things that need to be just questioned or, well, what kind of before school and after school private meetings are you having with these teachers? Are Is anybody welcome? Is the door open? You know, why is your teacher messaging you outside of class? Is there a reason for this? What are these messages? You know, these sorts of things. Because again, there are very well-intentioned good teachers and they care about their students and are very supportive of their students and mean no harm when they're trying to provide extra help. The problem is, is the predators also see that and utilize that and they will make those meetings with students more private, right? It'll be, well, I'm only meeting with this student and nobody else is allowed and the door is closed. No, no, that, that, thank you for that. Tanya, I want to come back to you in, in a minute because I want you to, um, that's the clinical side. I want you to give um, adults and parents listening some things they can do to get ahead of this policy-wise in some of these school districts. Before I do that, I, I have to share this. I recently, because I think this is another aspect of this, Dr. Schilling, I recently um, uh, was made aware of a family where there has been a history of sexual abuse within the family from family members and on the part of those outside of the family. It's almost as if the family itself was targeted and groomed. And I was very shocked to hear this. And I asked, um, well, what is being done about it? Or, or, or what, what is, you know, and this didn't come from the family. The family's silent. And someone close to the family explained to me, and, and I guess this is part of the problem too, Dr. Schilling, in, in some spaces, and I guess in some families and some environments, this has been so commonplace and accepted. And then with people not wanting to talk about it, it's just suppressed. Is swept under the rug. And that is literally happening with this family I'm aware of as we speak. And I was traumatized just to, just to hear that. Yes. I mean, th this is, I mean, this, this is really a serious problem when something like this happens. At the time, you didn't want to, you didn't want to parallel the Catholic church, but 
I mean, since you brought it up, let's face it. People have stopped not stopped going to church. Um, you know, so there's, there's something in our society as bad as this is, where some just kind of say, okay, that's, this is how it is. You know, and, and that's, that's very difficult. Um, Tanya, what can those who are listening do, uh, whether they have young people in an educational setting or not to become more aware, to become more involved, to ask questions of their school leaders and elected officials? What, what assignments would you give us? Well, I have a lot of them, but I'll try to keep them concise. <laughs> you don't have to keep it concise. We want to know. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, Parents Against Child Sex Abuse, um, you know, was born five years ago um, because myself and my husband were the co-founders. Uh, we were angry when we came to learn how systemic the problem is and how little parents were educated and informed. So when you look at the history of child sexual abuse and policymaking and how child advocacy centers were established, it's been a journey, okay? And because by law, child advocacy centers were established, mandated reporters became named and identified, those in you know, the law enforcement profession, medical, uh, medical field, um, and, and educators, for example, right? Um, they've kind of had a leg up on this dark topic. And we believe that parents are the first line of defense for children. And we have been in the dark for too long. So it's having conversations like this and in the work that we've been doing for the last five years, um, our, our core website is paxa.online, P-A-X-A dot O-N-L-I-N-E. Um, and we've brought, we've brought a lot of heat around this topic, Reverend Mark, because we want parents to be up in arms that, you know, we've got to keep an eye on our teachers, our neighbors, 40 per, 35 to 40% of child sexual abuse instances is one kid doing it to another kid. Do you want to talk about things that be, being swept under the rug when a teenager is causing harm to a five-year-old in the basement? Um, all these types of things are happening under our noses that seem so harmless. So a cousin or an uncle takes interest and wants to isolate the child. Parents feel, oh my goodness, this person is doing me a favor. They're taking kids out of my hands so I can just get, catch my breath, you know, and do laundry. The truth of the matter is we want to flip the script and want parents to be like, why is that person taking all this interest in my child? Why would a grown man want to take my kid to a movie or just to ice cream by himself. You know, sometimes it's harmless. We're not saying that, but we want to just be more, have that spidey sense of, could there be more to investigate here? So number one, awareness and just being open and, and you know, removing those blinders that this is in the culture, this is happening. We don't need to prove it out anymore. Everyone calls, you know, says evidence-based model. Well, we have Me Too and we, it's called Survivors. It's called Testimonials and Testimonies like Ashley's. I don't need more proof than that. I hear enough storytelling. I know it's happening. And we all have stories through stories through stories. So just by having it in the conversation. So being aware. Um, number two, um, our organization offers a tax appointers resource guide. We created, it took a long time to do, a very proprietary resource guide that explains to parents in a very simple way key scenarios to look out for where they are. there are close-in scenarios. Family members, babysitters. Um, teachers at school, um, play dates. How does that work? 
We say no to sleepovers and online safety. Why? Because whether or not, whether or not a child knows um, the predator or not, online devices, Snapchat, you know, the iPhone, the computer, TikToks are being used to access and groom our children. And you, it doesn't need to be some stranger out in another country or in another state. Those, those situations happen. It's, it's more like micro situations where kids are being pressured and they don't know how to handle the pressure of being asked for an inappropriate photo. So I would say awareness, number one. Number two, shifting your perspective on how you're going to look at people around your child. And number three, it's very important to keep the conversations going with your children. I can't tell you enough how many parents just want to leave it to the schools to educate their kids about their bodies. Parents don't have the courage. If mom didn't teach, mom or dad didn't teach them about their body or sexual behavior or things like that, then they're getting the information online. I can't even tell you, Google was not a thing when we were growing up. Now kids can just go to Google and find they're exposed more to sexual activity than ever before. And that is so frightening because it's hypersexualizing our kids. It's exposing them to predators. So these three core things I would say are the assignments. And very important assignment. But one other category of folk though, um, I was a, I'm a former public school teacher. Um, and, and then I ended up being a, a union rep. Um, I come from a family of school teachers and teachers union reps. Are our teachers unions in solidarity with you and this movement, Tanya? Wow. As they should. I, I want to say, I, of course, researched your history. This one I did not know about. And I'm so grateful that you brought this up. Um, let's, we're having a lot of challenges with some of those limitations that the unions are bringing on, are bringing about um, to keep this subject kind of um, not as addressed as we would like, let's just say. So there's work to be done, absolutely. And we really hope that we can really shift some of the union perspectives around this so um, no person can feel like they can become a teacher and then in turn be protected by a union um, for causing harm to our children. So I really believe that we will get there. I really believe okay. that as a collective in the society, we will get there. So I feel hopeful. Well, feel free to give me uh, an assignment on offline if I can help with that. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, awesome folks are still taking my, except my phone call. Um, lastly, Ashley, thank you for the courage in, in telling your story. Um, because you are helping and saving a lot of people. You did mention your daughters and you, they, they don't know your story yet. I, I'm just curious as a parent, um, I mean, you're out there, you're in the public. I mean, eventually they'll know you, their mom's story, right? For me, how does that tell us how that, how that works? So I know eventually they're going to know what happened, what happened to mommy. Um, I use what happened to me. Like we have a really great book we read called Tell Somebody by Alicia Barlow, I think is her name. Um, and I use that book in a sense to say, hey, somebody hurt me. I'm not saying you're not safe but I am going to teach you how to keep yourself safe because I know one day they are going to learn what happened to mommy. And, and that's okay. We will cross that bridge when we get there. But for right now, they need to know that they are safe 
and that money is fighting those bad things. That, you know, it's okay to say no, that we don't want somebody to touch us. It's okay to be upset when somebody makes us uncomfortable. And it's okay to use, we call it our big girl bark in our house. So. Well, again, thank you for your story. You and your family uh, are in my prayers. Uh, folks, we, we've got to do something about this. Just so you all know, in my own vocation in the ministry, I, I've been having conversations with my colleagues. We're talking about educator in, in the education system now. You mentioned the Catholic Church, but there's something about the church universal, which also is a target for these types of predators. And we got to figure that out. What is that about? Uh, and, and then there are those in the church who often excuse it you know, and, and still prop folks up as church leaders. I'm talking about all denominations, all faith folks. This is an ecumenical problem. So there's something we need to do in our society. And just one other thing I'll say, um, um, and this is me talking y'all, not the group. So I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for what I'm about to say. Um, these individuals here, Ashley, uh, Holly, Dr. Schilling, Tanya Haig are doing very important, legitimate work. We have to be careful about, Tanya talked about a lot of stuff online, that's going on online. We have to be very careful and aware of people who put things online that are not legitimate. And then they serve to desensitize us when the real stories appear. So if every day you saying Hillary Clinton is running a pedophile ring out of a pizza parlor, that's not real. This is real. And these are the sources that you need to listen to, because I fear sometimes we see the crazy stuff and we just dismiss everything, you know, um, and we can't um, allow that to happen, that we become desensitized in that way. Uh, this is very important. I have been enlightened to it. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm hearing about much of what you're hearing today, ladies and gentlemen, I'm also hearing. Uh, for the first time. Uh, and that's why I like to have guests like these because I want to learn along with you all in the audience. And so now I'm aware and I hope you'll be aware. Tanya, once again, give us the websites for people to go to to find out more and, and get involved. Thank you. So for Parents Against Child Sex Abuse, the acronym is PAXA and that's www.paxa.online. And to learn more about the Kids 2 movement, it's kids2.org. K-I-D-S-T-O-O. Dr. Holly Schilling, Ashley Nation, Tanya Haig, we thank you all for joining us on Make It Plain. And please keep us posted about what's going on and, and really how, how the movement is doing and what we can do to help, okay? Thank you. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.